The Sidebar Podcast is made possible today thanks to support by Beatles the Bug and the thought of George Harrison's hands. When was the last time you thought about the third best Beatles veiny set of finger was? Well, today's the day. We're talking George Harrison's hands all day and all hard day's night. If you've got your mind set on watching that new Michael Bay explosion thing on that channel you can't remember, then sweet lord do we have a vision for you. It's George Harrison's hands. Fingers on palms with hair. If the image of George Harrison's hands etched into your morning toast doesn't make your guitar gently weep, then you might be dead inside. Like George Harrison, because hey, he's dead. You board the airplane for a 13-hour flight to Seoul. A sweaty man sits next to you, opens a bag of Fritos, and tells you his name is Doug. Welcome to the sidebar. I'm Clint Mars Novak, filling in for Sebastian Morales, who is currently sporting a tank top at an office Christmas party. Dilyar Gunnarsson is a frequent contributor to Runner's World. His article, Running Without Boundaries, focuses on distance running and advances in running technology. Dilyar, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Now, one thing that I think I have always thought about distance running, I've always wondered, how far is too far? Well, you know, there are many people who have been trying to push uh, the limits of distance that the human body can run. Uh, and none more fascinating than the Terra Humera, the, the tribe of ultra runners uh, in the Chihuahua province of Mexico. And this, these people have, uh, of course, been a fascination of yours for many years. Absolutely. You've followed them on their trails. You've tried to keep up with them during their runs. Uh, you lived with them for uh, quite some time, and you were even engaged to one of the women of the tribe. Uh, tell us about how you've managed to become a part of the Terra Humera family. You, you know, it was a difficult process. Um, having them accept me as one of their own, uh, it was something, uh, you know, I, I wanted to dedicate my life to. And as as a journalist... I, I thought, you know, if I just go every day and I show them that I'm interested in their culture and that I mean them no harm, that uh, eventually they will accept me. And, and it took about three years uh, for them finally to, uh, to let me run with them. It was, it was really a special day. Mm -hmm. And uh, what were the different ways in which you had to uh, get close to the tribe uh it could be kind of a courtship ritual of sorts well you know i would i would provide them water along the way i would uh as they were doing these long distance runs uh i, I almost like a, a marathon station you know when you a hydration station mm -hmm. and uh, I, would, I would hand out little solo cups of water to them I've always wondered how those people at the hydration stations feel because they just watch the runners just pass by person after person after person after person. Is it kind of lonely being there as, as at the water station or do you feel yes. 
it is. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're out there in the middle of nowhere sometimes and you don't know if uh, they've chosen this, this route, you know, what was the weather like? Did it change the pattern of their run? Uh, you're out there hoping that you can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Now you, you did make a difference actually in these people's lives. You uh, were probably one of the first journalists to break the story of the Terry Humera to, to the outside world. And one of the ways in which you got their trust is you were one of the first outsiders to run barefoot with them. Yes. Uh, and you actually have a name in the Terahimera uh, tribes. They call you Bigfoot. Yes. Uh, because you have such large and hairy feet and very bright white. Uh, what? How did they take to your feet? Well, at first, uh, I, I think it was a bit of a shock. It was a bit of a shock at first for them. Uh, never had they seen such pale white flesh. Um, for them, I, I appeared as an outsider, and then for them to see my skin looking so much different, uh, it was hard for some of the elders of the tribe to accept me. Uh, mm-hmm. The young people, having experienced uh, you know, run-ins with uh, the outside world, uh, were more accepting of uh of someone who looked different than them yes of course uh, it's it's hard to imagine kind of uh someone different from yourself when you haven't when you haven't experienced something such as that now uh you yourself uh chronicled in various uh, columns how superhuman these people were and are could they be classified as x-men of sorts I I think they absolutely should be. I uh, I've received a lot of pushback <laughs> about my thoughts, but uh, anyone that can run up to 400 miles in 48 hours is beyond the scope of any other athlete that we've ever seen in Olympic history. It has to be noticed uh, that these people are potential superheroes, uh, distance running champions. Uh, the tales of marathon seem like nothing compared to the, the runners of the Terra Humera. That is absolutely incredible. What would you, we have a few other uh, peoples in this world who are excellent athletes, such as uh, the Sherpas and the Nepalese who, yes. who climb Mount Everest. Ugh, so, their feet are really something to be admired. Their feet are also actually quite large, uh, maybe even larger than your own. Yes. Uh, we have not yet uh, held a measurement, but in Nepal, a foot is actually larger in Nepal than it is anywhere else. The measurement of a foot. Yes. And uh, the way that they have also built up their sort of immunity to the elements, mm-hmm. uh, right? Their... And the, the way that they do that is they have the Nepalese pedicure that just soaks, keeps, traps all of the, uh, the moisture into their skin and keeps out all of the outside elements. Yes. Yes, the, uh, the yak's wax. Yeah, it really lays on thick and just sticks, sticks to it. So you can almost use your feet as a, a suction cup. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really incredible. The calluses that are built up with the yak's wax. Uh, and, and, you know, foot care is, is something that's very important to the, to the Nepalese as well, mm-hmm. as well as the Terahumera. You know, stretching is certainly uh, part of the ritual, as I'm sure it is with the Nepalese. 
as I'm sure it is with any athlete, you have to stretch to remain strong. Uh, flexibility, strength without flexibility is meaningless. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And throughout all of your time, you've become a uh, a big proponent of running barefoot. Uh, you think, oh, yeah. You think everybody should be barefoot all the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've really made a push uh, for everyone to ditch their running shoes, start off small, run on the pavement, uh, build up some calluses. And, uh, you know, I've received a lot, a lot of flack from my, my, uh, my editor <laughs> at Runner's World uh, because I tell everyone not to wear shoes and, uh, you know, that you'd be much better off just running barefoot because that's how you were meant to run everybody okay don't believe the propaganda that's how you were meant to run okay as a barefoot the way that god intended so how do you intend as god intended how do you suggest someone gets started uh hardening their feet how do you get calloused how do you stretch a foot how do you prepare your foot to take all of this brutal damage from the earth I think you start small and you start with something like uh, a pumice stone, Mm -hmm. something that is a little bit rough. You know, you can take off some layers of skin, but uh, if you really scrub hard, you know, you can uh, start to build up some calluses, like playing the guitar. You know, you just keep doing it every day. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a a wedding stone for a sword. You just go over your foot over and over. Absolutely. Absolutely. At, at what age do you do you suggest that you start uh, shaving your feet or rubbing your feet with these stones when you're a baby, when you are growing into adolescence? In the Gunnarsson family, uh, we start at an early age. I started at the age of four mm-hmm. with the warming stones mm. and uh, and the hot oils. Uh, we we take a lot of pride uh, being a Bigfoot uh, family the way mm-hmm. that we are. Of course. And what, uh, where the oils I know are the best oils for this come a lot of times from the Caribbean. Where exactly did you get yours from and how were they delivered? Oh, yes. Um, ours actually come from the Dominican Republic. Uh, you know, normally not known for uh, uh, many of their exports other than maybe plantain uh, that Americans would recognize. Uh, but, uh, yeah, really incredible, the, mm. the quality that we've been receiving from them. And they would actually send them to you by carrier pigeon. Yes, yes. They have really revitalized an industry that we had thought lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't need uh, boats of car- cargo boats when you <laughs> just have 300 pigeons carrying little pouches full of oil. Of course. Uh, the pigeons are much, much more efficient. They have a, a distinct way of, uh, of training these pigeons. They clap out signals in Morse code in order to, to tell them where to go so that people who are not trained in the language of Dominican pigeon clapping, can these people can't decipher where all of these shipments are going. Uh, you actually are a expert in Dominican pigeon clapping. I I mean, I, I don't want to use the word expert. Um, I will. But yes, uh, I am. 
you know, it's another one of my passions. And when I get into something, I dive in. I dive completely in. Hmm. And uh, it's something that I was so fascinated in. And uh, the reemergence of pigeon, uh, you know, parcel travel. Yes. It uh, really fascinated me. So I, I thought, how, how did this work? You know, how, how did this come about? And we're bringing it back, so it must be efficient. So I studied. I, I lived with pigeons. I find the good all approach is the best way. Uh, I've spent many years just immersing myself with, uh, with different cultures and tribes. Mm-hmm. Uh, pigeon clapping was, uh, was really a scary world. It's uh, the underbelly of a lot of crime. So it's, uh, it's something that I couldn't only handle, you know, and my family could handle for so many years. Mm. Uh, because it is, pigeon clapping is one of the top ways in which uh, drugs are actually peddled throughout. Yes. And it is, once you know pigeon clapping, there's actually uh, a few masters of pigeon clapping who teach it throughout the uh, Central America and the Caribbean. And once you know pigeon clapping, you're actually on a list of pigeon clappers. And then you can get hired out to anyone, to the cartel, to, to pretty much anyone. Yeah, I try to ask as few questions as possible anytime that uh, you know, I've been brought in to consult on pigeon clapping. Uh, it's better, you know, the less details that I know, the better for everybody. And... Th- through your pigeon clapping days, you actually uh, found, I don't want to say founded, but you were one of the early uh, early pioneers of uh, another sport, the running with pigeons. And that's where you just run holding pigeons. And then you have to, whoever gets not only to the finish line first, but with the calmest, most loving pigeon is the winner. So it's kind of a... a Two sports at once, uh, animal handling and athletics. And how how did that come to be? Were, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it was a botched clapping assignment gone wrong. No, really it was, uh, it was an outreach to pets that needed help. Um, much like horses who are used for their meat or put down after not winning a race or a greyhound who are treated uh, you know terribly and put into mass graves or kept in cages their entire lives uh this was an outreach of compassion for the pigeons Mm -hmm. a lot of these pigeons are disadvantaged pigeons uh they don't have proper homes to go to uh they don't have proper people to to look after them and so they need to feel like they have a use in their lives. And if running with pigeons can give any pigeon a, a purpose, you know, no pigeon left behind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it, it sounds like you're on board uh, with our mission statement, which I really appreciate your support. You know, I, having grown up in New York, I was around a lot of pigeons and uh, I hate them. But I do understand your uh, compassion for another living being mm. uh, in just a, the most basic of senses. As like, I care about another human. I don't care about pigeons whatsoever. Uh, well, I, 
Everyone's entitled to their opinion, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, uh, you sent a pigeon to us. Uh, you clapped a pigeon to our offices, my office here in Chicago. And our beloved researcher, the intern, Addie Harper, actually uh, picked up the pigeon. And it was carrying oil, hot oil, and it spilled it all over her lap and then pecked at her ears. So she now has uh, cauliflower ears from this pigeon. Oh, no. And it's her fault, really, because she she didn't get smallpox when she was a child. So it came back. And so her ear actually looked like a bunch of pieces of corn. Wow, that's terrible. I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear that. I, uh, I would love to apologize to Addie. Um, well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, I thought I'd sent a loving pigeon uh, who just was looking for love in return. Apparently, you didn't, and she can't accept your sorries because she currently can't hear because she has gauze covering both of her ears and she's currently blinking at me very dead-eyed she has no spirit it's completely crushed oh. it's exactly how we like our interns to be oh my gosh keep up the good fight Addie. keep up the good fight now you are a huge fan of the uh Am I saying this right? The the five fingered shoes, the toe shoes. Oh yeah. Uh, you are vibrams. The 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 vibrams. Vibram five fingers. Yes. Um, don't accept any imposters. Okay. Fila, Reebok, Adidas. I'm talking to you. Uh, vibram five fingers. They'll set you free. Mm-hmm. They really will. You, they'll change your life. What if I don't want to be free? Why would you not want to be free? Well, it, a lot of people may fight against uh, the five-fingered toes, the vibrams. Uh, there's a lot of pushback, apparently, because it is change and because it gives you freedom to be who you were originally meant to be. But what if, what if I like what we've become? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, given a chance, maybe you would change your mind. Mm-hmm. You would change your mind if you could experience the way that your toes feel as they are able to spread the way that uh, they were meant to, the way we were built uh, to let our toes just spread ever so wide and take a nice grounded base. You can feel the balance that you've never felt before. It's, it's really something incredible. And uh, you give yourself a few weeks and if you had back pain or knee pain, it, you'll, you'll find that uh, it goes away. Now, I, I, you name each of your toes individually just to feel a closer connection to them because of the relief that they give you throughout your whole body. What are the names and why do you name them so personally on a deeper level? Well, adopting some of the characteristics of the tribe, uh, they revere their feet and they are worshipped. So to name my toes was uh, an act of um, servitude, uh, I suppose is the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so for me, I, I took a deep personal meaning, um, naming them after Catholic saints, 
so St. Patrick, uh, St. Jonathan, St. Francis, and St. Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand, actually, that you also not only adopted the practices of the Tarahumara, but uh, this specific tribe uh, had the ritual, whenever you get betrothed, you actually, uh, instead of swapping rings, you swap a toe. And so you have a toe from the woman who you were once betrothed to, but never married. Um, and the toe was named Tony. Mm. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that toe and its, its meaning to you. <sighs> Well, that, that's, a, that's a difficult subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that was going to come up today. But, uh, but okay, okay. Um, you know, Tony and I, uh, well, it's my, it's my left foot. It's my ring toe. Yeah, oh, it's the my, ring toe of the your ring toe. left foot. My oh. left foot. And as it was cut off, I uh, I thought, you know, I'll never run again. Mm. But when it was fused by the shaman mm. with the, the healing light, I knew that everything was going to be okay. And mm. I thought that, uh, you know, I was going to be spending the rest of my life running with this tribe. And they said that I had passed every test. But that uh, running squirrel just didn't want to be with me. And even to this day, Tony sometimes talks to you, uh, much like the you've described it as much like The Shining, yeah, uh, with ghost red toe. rum, the ghost toe. Mm-hmm. What things does he say to you? Uh, are are they horrifying? Are they funny? Are they lamenting? A You'll past? never be free. You'll oh. never ever be free. You'll never run with us. You're a city dweller. That is heartbreaking because city dweller to the Terahumara is one of the worst insults you worst can come up with. possible insult. And Tony not only gives you, gives you deep, uh, insightful, meaningful words, he also gives you premonitions. Yes, I have experienced visions. And uh, um, one of the visions you had was uh, in about five years' time. It was you shirtless with just khaki shorts in a desert. And you were just on this run. And there was no one else around you. But you felt like you were being chased. And yes. you didn't know what by. And there was blood dripping from a spear, a, a cracked in half spear in your hand. And in front of you, you saw an oasis and you knew it was a mirage but still you were desperate to get there because you don't have any water and you're about to die and you were lonely and and sick and pale what does that mean to you well i was desperate i was a a man who was lost Mm -hmm. i was i was searching for myself and i thought in that mirage there would be the answer. Hmm. So I desperately clung to that hope. Only to fall short. October is here. And that can only mean one thing. Shit-eating cider face. 
The spiked cider so fuck-facey magical, it puts that shit grin on your tired pucker. So pucker up, you shit-eating fuck-face horse tooth, and sink that alabaster into a fresh can of cider. It's hard, it's alcoholic, and it'll turn that pumpkin chunkin' beer wench into a fruity piece of caramel afterthought. So pick up a sixer, guzzle a twelve, and bang a two. Cider Face Cider. Now available in your local grocer's freezer. Support for the Sidebar Podcast is also made possible thanks to... Your diapies. Is seasonal depression sinking your nether region? Then you need your diapies. Your diapies is the only adult diaper on the market made by the people who wear the most. Dying old people. Yes. Your diapies has the factories and the people power to plow through any butt mud that may be running down your Hershey highway. With eight pockets of poo-powered freshness, you'd be tighter than an exiting kidney stone to not push for their product. Buy your diapies. Their diapers for when other diapers won't do. Now, you are a spiritual person. Uh, premonitions aside, you also are very uh, deep in the shamanic arts. Uh, your spirit animal is a camel's toe. Uh, and this camel toe... Where... Specifically of a hawk. It's a hawk's camel's toe. Oh, okay. And where, where did this this hawk's camel toe guide you in your spirit journey? It came to me in a vision while I was running with the tribe. Mm -hmm. I had uh, fallen behind at uh, about mile 70 and uh, a bird flew to a cactus not more than four feet in front of me, perched a uh, on high stared at me I stared back at him and we stared into each other's souls I knew that the camel toe that this hawk was displaying was showing me that I needed to change I knew then if I could only go back to that moment that hawk was trying to show me that I was never going to be accepted in that tribe. I needed to fly by my own tight pants. But isn't the sole of a toe just the bottom of a foot? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. So maybe you were misled in your reading. You don't have to fly by your own tight pants, but just by your strong, supple, calloused feet bottoms. You're right. You're right. Since you've returned, you've been an a avid, a avid supporter of the Terry Humara practices in ways that would benefit U.S. runners to become, once again, competitive on an international stage. Yes. So I introduced uh, Teschino, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a beverage that the uh, the tribe will consume. It's a uh, corn beer, essentially. And uh, this gives the runners the extra added carbohydrates and energy that they need to perform on a long-distance run. So I have uh, introduced that to a lot of different running stores. Uh, we've gotten quite a good you know, about a feedback this year. Mm -hmm. uh, our Instagram is up to uh, 600 followers. All right. So we're pretty excited about that. And um, 
I also have helped to start Socks with No Bottoms. Mm. Uh, so Socks with No Bottoms is essentially a way for the Terra to stay warm in the winter months. Acts as sort of uh, ankle muffs, sort of uh, ear muffs for your ankles. And it's a great way to put our sponsors on, uh, on the sides of their feet uh, without forcing them to wear shoes. Hmm. So it's sort of like a ankle dress right, with a skirt on the bottom. Kind of hangs around your, the sides of your feet. Um, just think of it like a, a sock that has most of the sock, but the very bottom of the foot is cut off. Mm, okay, so how is it secured to the bottom of the foot? Is it taped? Is it glued? No, it just lays upon the top of the foot. Oh, okay. Imagine you took your sock and just sliced off the bottom part of the sock, only exposing your bare feet. Mm. But uh, it has been marketed more as muffs, and that's why you've uh, partnered with Cindy Lauper and Madonna who to harken back to the 80s style muffs. Yes. Uh, they are huge fans. Uh, Madonna actually has been wearing it at all the red carpet. Oh, events. sure. The the leg warmer socks with no bottoms are are probably our best sellers, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to Madonna. We really want to thank her for that. Uh, her contributions really help us to get this thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, she was, she was on board right away. Yes. You know, it was just incredible. Madonna was like, Socks with no bottoms? Yes. I'm on. She's a trendsetter. She is. The way she has uh, kept relevant all these years is she always... Oh, and Lopper? I mean, are you kidding? Both of them. They're always at the cutting edge. I think they recognize that this is the cutting edge. Uh, And what you have next, the toe muffs, look look to be extraordinary. Yeah, which essentially are just toe socks. Think of little toe socks, but with the ends cut off, right? So think of like uh, sleeves for your socks, but I'm calling them toe muffs because it's just so cute, you know? Mm, that's very cute. Absolutely. And you're coming out with the, uh, the, the special brand Like a Virgin muff, which is going to go just around the, uh, the pinky toe. Yes, just, you know, a few limited edition uh, Madonna and Cyndi Lauper inspired uh, lines. You know, we, we have to uh, please the fans. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, so you're getting pushback from not only your higher-ups, as you mentioned before, at Runner's World, but you're also getting pushback in the fashion world. Yes. Uh, people don't like what you're doing. People are not happy. No. People don't like feet. And I have long been a proponent of letting your feet breathe. You know, your feet are people too. Your feet... Have feelings. When I was covering Hurricane Sandy in my Pulitzer Prize winning turn, I had to excavate a man from drowning. To save him from drowning, I had to excavate him from a fallen building. And uh, he told me to cut off his feet. And I said, no, sir. Then how would you get around? Yeah. How would you get around? There's one partner he won't partner with, and that is the World Cup with FIFA. Uh, you won't partner with the World Cup for soccer or, or any other uh, FIFA-related games. Why not? It seems like that would be your exact well, fan base. Ever since the, the Sepp Blatter scandal when, uh, when FIFA you know, was exposed for all of its corruption, uh, we had to 
steer this thing in another direction. We didn't want to link our name to an association that has year after year shown signs of corruption, you know, uh, from, from the, the scandals with Juventus, uh, you know, in the late 90s and the early 2000s uh, to the most recent World Cup scandals, uh, you know, with Russia and Qatar getting the bids. I mean, it's just uh, clearly signs of, of uh, corruption. Uh, made it so that we just couldn't work with that organization. That is fair, but it, are you above just making a little bit of money instead? Uh, I'm not sure why corruption would stop you from partnering with, again, what would be probably your biggest partner? Yeah, it's really it's really too bad because soccer is obviously, or football, uh, as the rest of the world football, would call it. yes. Uh, well, it's soccer here. The most the popular States sport. That's true, that's true. It's the most popular sport worldwide, though, and uh, I know we haven't adopted it as a major sport here in the United States, but uh, it's really uh, sad for me that, that, I, that I can't have socks without bottoms on Real Madrid, you know, my favorite team my entire life. I wish that, uh, you know, before Cristiano Ronaldo left the team, he could have worn some socks without bottoms. He could have, and the worst part is that you yourself have actually come up with some soccer training methods uh, to enrich soccer players and give them more vitality and endurance on the field. One of them is, of course, hand running, which to most people the world would look like wheelbarrow racing, but you have a bit of a flair on it. Uh, explain that methodology. Yes, um, I, I do uh, more of the hoe. If you're familiar with a farm, the farm equipment, a hoe. So oh, yes. I'm digging into the ground ripping, shredding the ground in front of me, tearing my way to the finish line. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a much more intense wheelbarrow, and I, and I prefer that you don't refer to it as the wheelbarrow. I mean, it, I just want the proper respect for the exercise. Oh, no. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't understand because most of your... Uh, the Icelandic most... national team relies on my training. So your team, uh, the the Icelandic team. Yes. Do you feel like you're giving an unfair advantage because you have Viking blood coursing through your veins? Oh, absolutely. I think that that is the pride of our nation. And uh, Brian Baru is the Viking that I am descended of. He was a king of Ireland for a short time. He lived in a longhouse with 11 other people and was still a king. He lived in a house no bigger than a studio apartment in New York City mm. with 13 people. Wow. And he was the king. Because... The Vikings knew how to live and work and play together. All on top of each other, if need be. Sure, they shared sexual partners. And so, together with the Viking blood and the, the, the testosterone coursing through your veins, and with uh, the hand running and the uh, terra you have actually created multiple teams of just Viking warriors yes that are going to just run through berserkers berserkers that are going to berserk their way through any sport in any field or pool for that matter yes our swim team uh really has taken off uh from our methods um you know all they were doing was wheelbarrow before i came in mm -hmm. i revolutionized everything for them mm -hmm. uh, i i think that the freestyle was changed because of my work. 
Mm. Now, uh, I hear that you are also descended from the old lady in the shoe. Yes. From and Hazel. Brian Brew. And Brian Brew. Yeah. How does she affect your your status in the world? And also, how does looking back on that, on her, her story, how does that uh, teach you how to live? Because your ancestors are really just blueprints. Well, our ancestors are blueprints for ourselves. Taught me to make time for people. Mm-hmm. That's what it, I, I think that, you know, my childhood is, is forgettable, you know, not a lot of attention, mm-hmm. a lot of mouths to feed. And, uh, I'm glad I got out of there. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very, uh, harsh environment when you're in a big family. Yeah. Not enough love to go around. Yeah. And you know a, lot I mean? of, a lot of gout as well yeah. when you're being brought up in that Close terrible quarters, just amounts ter- of gout, terrible gout, because everybody's just eating such rich and 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 lardy foods, foie gras, all, every night, every night. It's a it's a hard upbringing. Goose liver every single night, and so that's why now you're with this this group of strong Viking, brazenly muscular men who are all strangely tanned you're just pillaging every single sports stadium you can find yes yes back to the to the roots of our culture of pillaging and taking what we'd like uh, but on a sports field in a respectful way Mm -hmm. and that's that's what i think that's what i think uh sportsmanship really means is being able to to desecrate someone on a field and embarrass them and then go out to drinks with them afterwards. Yes. Yes. Nearly put them within an inch of their life, taking away any hope, uh, for a quality of life, uh, and and then buying them a shot. Hmm. That seems like the nice way of, of doing things. You are a family man, a local man, uh, man of men, uh, you're currently actually getting involved in local politics. You're running for office. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, yes, I am. Uh, I'm running for uh, comptroller of San Francisco. Uh, so I, uh, you know, a glorified accountant, really. Uh, but there is some uh, some spending that uh, I think could change, and, and I, I think that there are certain things like uh, community outreach for safe use centers for uh, drug addicts, uh, you know, uh, housing for the homeless, rather than just a, uh, a little box that collects change and then we redistribute this sort of unknown sum to the homeless. Uh, but where does that money really go? You know, I want to make also, a difference. You, but you've also campaigned that instead of housing the homeless, you should just train them in long distance running so that they just continue to run around the country. Yes. You know, if you can't find food where you are, it's amazing if you scavenge the country and run on foot. Um, if, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Forrest Gump, you know, mm-hmm. and if you watch Forrest Gump, you just run coast to coast, you, just run coast you to will coast. get a national following and people will adore you and then people will follow you and, and people will feed you, mm-hmm. you know, people will be inspired by your, your run. So Deliar, what's next? You know, it's been a long time since I've 
taking time for me. You know, just what does Dilyar want? Uh, Dilyar wants to backpack the Appalachian Trail. Mm. He wants to take a, a deep backwoods stroll for three to six months. Uh, everything in, everything out. Uh, bagging up my own shit. Uh, not leaving any impact. Mm-hmm. Not leaving any more of an impact than already has been left. And uh, connecting again with with Mother Earth and, uh, you know, just getting out of uh, the, the rat race <laughs> well, that you're get- this life is. You're getting out of the rat race, pun intended, and you're getting into the truffle game. Yes. Uh, you know, and it's, it's something, it's, it's a little sensitive to talk about because the families that are involved in truffles, they oftentimes will tell you, if you want to get into truffle business, this is not a good business for you. You know, they'll, they'll straight up just tell you that. And, uh, because of your, your history, some of the baggage that you carry, uh, the truffle families like to be uh, clean, keep out of the newspaper. They stay mostly in the shadows. Well, yeah, they're mostly mafia as well, which is, uh, why they want to stay in the shadows. Uh, it's a, it's a very lucrative business, you know, and pigs have been used for many years, but now it's mostly dogs because the pigs, when they, when they find it, they eat the truffle, but, I have trained pigs to be able to not eat that truffle. Mm. Shock collars for pigs. As soon as they start to chew, it shocks them. So I have some pig shock collars for sniffing out truffles Mm. in Alba, Italy, uh, clearly uh, under the white oak tree uh, where they all grow. The truffle pig squad you actually raised on a farm that you own. And just like the little piggies on your toes, you named the little piggies in your squad. But you named the little piggies in your squad after Norse deities instead of the uh, the Christian saints. Uh, yes, yes. So uh, tell me what Freya is like. Well, uh, Freya is is a lover. Freya is is kind, uh, unlike her uh, her Norse name. <laughs> um. You know, she really will surprise you with uh, her intelligence as well. It's it's unbelievable how smart those little animals are. Mm-hmm. They actually uh, are, I believe it is a second grade, third grade level of intelligence. Yes. Uh, yeah. Odin really uh, has displayed some fantastic uh, penmanship. Mm. And his he... calligraphy is really impressive. And these pigs are actually taking over the jobs of your carrier pigeons. Yes, yes. Uh, it can't all be done by just the pigeons because then we will be exploiting them. They cannot also have a monopoly on the business. Hmm. That seems like a good way of uh, sharing sharing the load. How? Because these pigs have to cover long distances in order to make up for uh, the pigeons, how do you prepare a pig for a long distance? How do you harden its hooves? It starts with cobblestone paths. Bringing the the herd, um, the flock, if you uh, if you will, I like to call them my flock, my flock of pigs. Uh, they have to get used to the cobblestone roads, and we put in a lot of miles in the first few months. Uh, and then I actually have to 
I have to shoe them. Uh, I have to shoe the pigs because is that, their little hooves can't it, handle those long distances. Is that S-H-O-E or S-H-O-O? As in shoe go away. Because if if you're chasing them down the cobblestones to, to imbue a sense of uh, uh, urgency inside of them, I... I that I understand. But I also understand putting actual shoes, like little bootsies, on pigs. So either one could work. It's little pig boots. Ah. I'm actually a little disappointed. Sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to disappoint you. I was imagining a, a svelte Nordic man chasing small piglets down a cobblestone street in Italy. Oh, that's happening as well. Uh, I mean, that's part of the conditioning before we shoe the pigs, we get them ready to run. Which piggy do you take to the market? Uh, usually uh, the medium-sized piggy, uh, the one who gives you the least amount of grief. You know, you don't want to take the whiny one. Mm. You don't want to take the little one. You don't want to take the runt, you know? Mm. Um, Which piggy just... stays home? Ah... Uh, for me right now, it's it's Freya. Mm. She's a little snuggler. You know, I kind of pick. It's uh, it's up to me. It's like I'm kind of like, uh, you know, like the the guy in the Japanese sniper tower who would just decide to kill one prisoner per day every time they brought someone in. Uh, so you know, I have to choose randomly. Of course, but uh, which picky goes to eat roast beef? Uh, you know, I. I I see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing. Um, my pigs eat a strict diet of vegetarian feed, uh, all organic, uh, urban farmed. Uh, they they don't eat meat. <laughs> Silly. I see what you're doing. And what about your pig, Wee Wee? What does he do? Oh, well, Wee Wee stays at home with me. Um, Wee Wee is my pet pig who I've had for 11 years. So she's going to stay at home with me, definitely. And you have your annual Wee Wee Overseas, your annual event in which you invite all of the uh, the, the kids of this. Uh, wh- where is it in Italy? Oh, it's um, it's in Florence. It's in Florence. You invite all of the children of the neighborhoods, neighborhoods of Florence to a running of the pigs. Uh, yes, uh, a running of the pigs in Firenze. Mm. And that is actually uh, no ham or bacon is to be served there? Oh, absolutely not. And I know that they revere their prosciutto. They do. Especially in the San Daniele region there. And all the children must be barefoot, and at least one child per trio must be hoed. Yes, yes, it's a hoedown if you will, but we're not allowed to use that name. So it's a hoe race. It's a hoe race. Dillyard Gunnarsson, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Next week on the sidebar, everyone wants to wear mustaches, but no one looks good in them. So why are we still talking about mustaches? I'm Clint Mars Novak. Thanks for stopping by.